You're listening to the Screen Pass Podcast, you big donkey. Podcast, the show about football in popular culture. My name is Sheehan. With me, as always, is the man who knows more about kicking than any other Baltimore resident called Justin, Justin Barber. How you doing, man? I'm good. How you doing, Sheehan? I'm good. I'm a bit concerned because last time we did the show, I had COVID. Now you're on the COVID IR list as well. We've talked on other shows about this maybe COVID maybe being transmissible via podcast, and I think mm. this is this is proof. Yeah, yeah, I think it might be. I mean, it takes two weeks, obviously, to get across the pond, as they say. But, yeah. you know, it got here to me via podcast, but still slow, still slower than the mail. Yeah, well, we um, we haven't received mail since the start of December here. So that's uh, <laughs> really? that's exciting. Um, All right, I take it back. You know, I'm, st- <laughs> I'm still waiting on Christmas presents that I need to give people. Um, I requested a refund from an online retailer because their product hadn't arrived and I'm still waiting but apparently I now have two on the way and a refund so um I'm gonna have two I think you should leave shirts which is um which is good maybe we can auction one of those off on the show (laughs) I like it yeah last year it was so bad during the holiday season I ordered something I completely forgot about it and then like months later in March it showed up like in the middle of March just showed up in my mailbox. I'm like, oh, here it is. Uh, I don't know if you're a big Seinfeld guy, but obviously Newman was a mailman in that. It was made out that he was like the worst mailman in New York. I think he'd probably be the best mailman in uh, the UK at the moment. He didn't work in the rain. <laughs> right. Yeah, huge Seinfeld <laughs> fan and a Newman fan as well. But yeah, I think you're right. You know, he understood that when you control the mail, you control information. Instead, the Royal Mail just control the uh, the whims of my Christmas presents. Right. Well, we're not really talking about mail or the Royal Mail or anything like that this week. We watched Gus, a movie about a field goal kicking donkey from Yugoslavia. We'll get to the movie in a bit, but um, where do you come down on the animals doing something they shouldn't genre of films? Well, first off, I think we need clarity out there. It was a field kicking mule. And there is True. definitely a day. There's a, I know there's a whole population out there. There's people sitting there listening to their podcast right now, just gritting their teeth, saying it's a <laughs> mule, not a donkey. What's the difference? So a mule is actually the offspring of a male donkey and a female horse, also known as a mare for you horse fanatics out there. There you go. Yeah, I guess they mules live longer and they're they're less obstinate than donkeys and they're supposed to be more intelligent. Judging from this movie, though, I got to say there was some pretty fancy training going on with this mule. So I'm inclined to believe it. We'll get into this. I thought the mule was really good as an animal actor. Like sometimes with these films, you sort of shoot, shoot what you shoot and you get what you get and you make the most of that. I thought this this mule was pretty good. This mule may have been the best actor in the movie maybe strong disagree <laughs> strong disagree oh my strong disagree oh. but it was pretty good do you, do you have any favorites of the um animals doing something they shouldn't collection of films animals doing something that they shouldn't 
You mean like a like an Airbud situation or a, exactly Airbud? Is that, was that you? Is that where you were going with it? <laughs> well, I'm not a massive fan of Airbud, Ben. We are for sure going to get to Airbud two Golden Receiver on this podcast, <laughs> and interestingly, they reference Gus in Airbud two Golden Receiver. What? And there's definitely connective tissue between Gus and Airbud. It's a bit like when you watch the first Star Wars and you're like, well, this is a lot like Takeshi's Moving Castle. This film is the Takeshi's Moving Castle to Airbud's Star Wars, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Flawless analogy there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but there's another one in the football genre, which we'll get to, called Bonzo Goes to College, where there's a chimp who plays quarterback. And that's exciting because obviously it's a chimp playing quarterback, but the prequel to it, Bedtime for Bonzo stars Ronald Reagan. What? <laughs> okay, hold on. There's, there's a lot to unpack there. So there's there's a a movie about a monkey that's a quarterback, right? Named Bonzo. Yep. And then there's a prequel to it with Bonzo that stars Ronald Reagan, the former president of the United States. That's 100% correct, okay. or at All least right, to the point sure. where Bedtime for Bonzo came first. And that's essentially a movie about putting a chimp to bed and getting a chimp ready for bedtime. That stars Ronald Reagan. Sure. And then the sequel to that is Bonzo Goes to College, where he becomes a college quarterback. That's like the the jump from the Fast and the Furious 1, where they're stealing DVD players, to like, now they're going to the moon. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, a, that's a real that's a jump. jump. They at least took nine films to get there. There yeah. was just one in the Bonzo-verse. Yeah, uh, the, the gap between the monkey learning to sleep and, I mean, because in college, you got to keep your grades up. I mean, there had to be a lot of learning that monkey did in between sleeping and college quarterback. Well, it's a, it predates the NFL, um, or at least it's, it's the, the early as the NFL, where college is still the, the primary, primary sport. So maybe they weren't as harsh on the academics back in those days. Maybe you just kind of had to show up and coast through. But we'll get to Bonzo Goes to College, and I'm sure we'll, we, can, we can compare that to Gus. But my favorite in the genre, staying in the primate family, is, of course, Dunstan Checks In, which is Dunstan the orangutan who is in a hotel uh, trying to rob people and i feel like dunstan checks in is just one of those cultural touch points that is a funny reference whenever you make it like alf um dunstan is a phenomenal name as well and it's well the whole thing is is pretty nice to bring together yeah and i worked somewhere where there was a receptionist called dunstan and he had to check you in and I always found no. that really, really funny. Yeah. That's just ridicule for days. I love it. Let's get into Gus. But before we do, don't forget we are part of the 32-bit network. And to stay up to date with everything from our friends MG, Mike Florio, Robbie and the Issa Vibe crew, LQ, and all the other awesome people over there, then follow at 32-bit on Twitter. That's the number 30, T-W-O-B-I-T. Subscribe on YouTube so you never miss an episode. Stay up to date with everything they're doing because there's some awesome stuff. And if you like this, you're going to love the other stuff they do. So Gus, the film about the field goal kicking mule. Made in 19, 1976 by the Walt Disney Corporation. This is a year before Star Wars came out. This is post Jaws. This is post the summer blockbuster. This is the jewel in Disney's crown as far as I'm concerned. This is not a product they've acquired. This is from the people who brought you. This is the <laughs> finest film they put out in that decade. Yeah. <laughs> Directed by. Vincent McEvity. I didn't bother to look in what else he'd done. This is a star-studded cast, though. It really is, yeah. Ed Asner, Don Knotts, yep. Gary Grimes, Louise Williams, Dick Butkus is in mm -hmm, this. Mm -hmm. Bob Crane, Hogan from Hogan's Heroes is in this. Mm -hmm. uh, Tom Bosley, Mr. C from Happy Days is in this. 
and uh, and your man Johnny Unitas. Well, yeah, we're definitely going to have to talk about about him during this podcast. And I feel you were unfair to at least some of those names, saying that the the mule that played Gus was oh, um, no. was the best actor. I tried to look to see if there was a name for the mule, but maybe the mule was actually just called Gus. It may seem like I'm throwing shade on all these other actors in this in this film. But the reality is, that's just how great I thought that Gus <laughs> actually was. I mean, A-list celebrity level donkey acting. Uh, mule acting. You said it, honey. <laughs> no, I feel like we're going to get a lot of that across this episode. So the synopsis here, the inept California Adams floundering in the cellar of the National Football League Welcome the team's newest member, a mule capable of place-kicking a football 100 yards with deadly accuracy. So what did you think of the movie? I mean, I, I'm going to say this. It's hard to watch a movie in this time frame because there's goods and bad to it. A lot of times when you do movies from this genre, the jokes have been done and redone and redone by other movies to the point where when you watch older movies, sometimes the jokes seem very bland. But you could maybe tell at the time that it was cutting edge comedy. Like, hey, this guy's falling into a pool. Ha 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 ha, I got it. <laughs> but at this point, it's like after I've seen it 2000 times, you know, I think it was it was worth it was worth watching for this. It wasn't something that I think I will ever put on again in my life. What about you? What do you how do you feel about it? I fully went into this expecting to hate it. And like say, I thought it'd be dumb and like, some of my favorite movies are old movies. I know that that's what people say. And they're like, some of my favorite movies are, but my favorites are these. But like genuinely my favorite movies from the sixties, like I'm okay with old cinema. I'm okay with like poxy special effects. Although insane. Some of these are real bad. I fucking love this movie. You do. That's great. That's great. I watched it twice. I enjoyed it both times. Yeah, I did enjoy it. Yeah. I don't, I don't see myself like watching it again, but I did sit and I enjoyed it and I can vouch for you. Anytime we throw out movies and conversation, you're always bringing up something from the 60s and 50s. You really do like that, uh, that classic cinema, which is great because I do, too. You're a, you're a Hitchcock fan. Big time. Yeah, Big me time. too. And yeah. although he didn't direct this one. Uh, <laughs> Unfortunately. I, I can't help but think it's uh, what, what he would have done with it. Yeah, I, I thought this was surprisingly good. Like I said, I expected it to be dumb. Ed Asner, Don Knotts, uh, Butkus, they were all, like Tom Bosley, they were all great. And I think the fact, because they were so good, they kind of carried the film. Something like this gets made now. It's a bunch of like no-name actors from like Christian movies and Hallmark movies, and they all kind of look the same, but no one's got any charm. These guys were like big stars at the time. This is right. Hogan from Hogan's Heroes' second last on-screen appearance. Like Tom Bosley was Mr. C when this was out at the cinema. Don Knotts was like coming off the Andy Griffith show. Ed Asner was a big actor. Um, surprised to see that he was still kicking. Absolutely. Me too. Some people might not know listening to this who these who these people are even because a lot of them have been out of film for a while. You know, Don Knotts was Barney Fife in the Andy Griffith show was his big claim to fame. But then he was, I mean, he's been in a ton of stuff since then. He was the landlord in Three's Company. They actually ended up replacing Mr. Roper, if you ever watched Three's Company, and it, it ended up being Ralph Furley, which was Don Knotts. And then an interesting tieback is on TGIF, there was a little show step-by-step step 
that we mentioned in our Friends episode with Michael Florio, where we discussed the Christmas crossovers. Don Knotts was in a Christmas crossover episode on TGIF as uh, Deputy Fife. Wow. Yeah. And it was in 1993, the same year that Boy Meets World came. And that's everything go. we talked about in Friends. So that is our seven degrees of separation of our podcast, all tied in a little bow right here in the beginning. I was going to say, I got. Uh, I was going to ask you, how did you go with this? Did you manage to find any callbacks to previous episodes? Because I, I got a couple. Oh, you do? Good. Yeah. Number one of all, Ed Asner. He was the voice of J. Jonah Jameson in the 90s Spider-Man cartoons and Uncle Ben in subsequent versions of the cartoon. Nice. Very good. I looked around. I didn't really expect anyone to be still alive. I Johnny Johnny used Ed, isn't he? Uh, yes. Um, I remember Mr. C dying in like 2008, 2009. So I was really surprised. It has this like 93 or 94. So like now Betty White's um, departed the mortal core. Perhaps he's the new national treasure. For those of you, you probably know him best as um, the old guy in uh, in Up. Yes. A, yep. a film that I've only seen the once and um, that, that's half as many times as I've watched Gus. And I, I enjoyed Gus a bit more, if I'm honest. Yeah. Yeah. I think I might watch Gus again before I watched Up. That was terribly sad. Gus was terribly happy. It, it, it was. Like, Gus was not without its poignant moments. Right. Let's get into the summary here because um, there's a lot to unpack. So the movie Cold Open, you don't see too much in it. There's no like titles or anything. This like launches into a cold open into in Yugoslavia with Andy, great Yugoslavian name, and his family watching his older brother, Stepan, who is a soccer superstar in Yugoslavia. Stefan uh, scores the winning goal. That's fairly tame. And I don't know if you noticed, there's a lot of, st- well, you would have noticed because there's a lot of stock footage in this uh, film. Stefan is wearing a different color shirt to either team that they use in the stock footage to set up the soccer game. Yes. Fantastic catch. Already at this moment, you're like, oh, I don't know about this. Like, <laughs> this is not looking good. Stefan scores the winning goal. It's like an old school toe poke, barely going. The family celebrates. Andy's kind of shunned. And we go back to the family farm where Andy is complaining to the family donkey, Gus, about his brother's soccer prowess. What, are, what did you make of Andy as a character in, in general? Andy, Andy was probably my, one of my least favorite characters. I mean, there was <laughs> the problem I felt with Andy was, number one, he was supposed to be from Yugoslavia, but there was a very minimal effort on this accent. He basically just... <laughs> gapped a few words and added duh instead of the here and there and then it was like that was his character work it was as bad as shannon elizabeth in american pie that's like it was that level of (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) mr cooper's orders someone throws me the ball and i hold it then gus kicks it and then we score a touchdown and besides that it was a completely normal accent he just honestly sounded he he sounded dumber than the mule. And that was that was the accent that they went for. It wasn't an accent. It was just like uh he just came off sounding like a fool half the yeah, time. Yeah. It wasn't even like a Yakov Schmirnov, like proper <laughs> like in 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 Yugoslavia, this is how we behave. He just sounded like a normal guy with a bit of like a I'm not American hero. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It was it was it's essentially sounded to me normal. And at one point, I was like, why is he talking like that? That's how off his accent was later in the movie. I was like, why is he talking? And I'm like, 
Oh, they're trying to do an accent there. <laughs> oh, is he been doing that the whole time? And then I just he, couldn't get it out of my head. He sounded like he'd been kicked in the head by Gus. He probably totally- did a couple times. Yep. <laughs> Has a beautiful 70s perm and beautiful mm. 70s sideburns, but he's cl- he's the weakest part of this film and For he's sure. on screen far too much. The actor Gary Grimes didn't really do a hell of a lot and this is this is largely why he is terrible. But Andy Gus lashes out and kicks a soccer ball through two conveniently planted trees. We hear the first of Gus's beautiful kicking sound effect, which is sort of like a... <laughs> <laughs> Crushed it. And Andy is so shocked. We didn't, we didn't prepare that. Andy is so shocked that he falls in a well. He has to get rescued from the well, and his mum hugs him and says... Be a good boy. Stay with your butterfly collection. So already this guy's a real nerd. It's just a buffoon. Just a buffoon. It then cuts to the owner of the California Adams reading a newspaper and his assistant says to him, because her parents are Yugoslavian, she doesn't have an accent, never really comes up and it's not really a plot point that they, they are aware of this or anything like that. You're already kind of in for me with this line. Even if I was Yugoslavian, I'd have trouble laughing these days. <laughs> Which is not like, and Yugoslavia has a a fairly checkered history as a country. And the 70s, they were kind of between wars, but even still, it's not like a a laugh a minute place. Right. (laughs) The California Adams are a professional football team in LA owned by Hank Cooper, who is Ed Asner's character and coached by the inept coach Vanna Donnott. I imagine we're just going to call him by the character name. Yeah, you might as well call him Donnott. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't discuss. It was a really, really weird intro. They have the coach and the owner and they're watching the game film. Yeah. And each scene is of the team just being awful. Like this Adam team just being horrible. They go to catch a ball and it hits him in the head and he's like, and then like the defense gets it or the defense is running into each other. But the weird thing about it was they'd show these 30 second clips you know, of Ed Asner and Don Knotts watching this film (laughs) and they would pause it and then they would run credits over the screen with this loud band music. So it was (laughs) like, you'd watch this clip and then all of a sudden it would just pause and be like, and then you're like, okay, okay. The intro credits are over. And then they'd show another clip with that. They're watching and reviewing him. He's like, Oh, maybe he should blah, blah, blah. And then it would just pause in the middle. It was very abrasive. And that went on for like a really long time. It was like 10 minutes. And in a 95 minute movie, that's, I don't know. It's like 10% off the top of my head. Yeah, it was like classic old school movie making where it's the credits out the front. Really, he wasn't the first to it, but obviously George Lucas popularized it. But this is a this is a pre-Star Wars world we're living in, the, the Gus world. Yeah. Uh, I kind of, I thought the intro was really well- it was a good idea poorly executed because it seemed like it was something that someone had done on their own computer where they hadn't faded any sound in and out. It had just cut from straight from, I can't believe it. We were a terrible team. We didn't win a game. And there was a like a pick quarterback is handing off the ball to the referee instead of the running back. And, <laughs> right. Um, the kicker tripped over. There were wayward snaps. Like we, there was a straight on kicking action, like the old toe kicking action before yes. the soccer style came in. Yep. And, and then you're right. They'd be like John Philip Sousa with, there was just no flow to it. Just very abrupt pauses. And the fact that they just kept doing it. I'm like, are they, 
are they still doing this? Like I went and I got a drink and I came back and it was, they were still doing it. I'm like, <laughs> Oh my God, what time is it? I had time to make popcorn and everything. <laughs> I, I get the idea of it. It was, they were trying to break it up. The clips were humorous, bumbly football, football clip moments. But yeah, it was weird. It was a very strange, strange intro. Innovative, but strange. What? He must be out of his head. And that was the blow that did it. So this is something I know we'll want to track as this show goes along. It's the first time we've come across this. It's taken us five episodes to get there. And these fake football team names. Yes. And in this one, we have the California Adams. And in fact, I'm going to put this to you every time these come up. I want you to, to rate them on a scale out of, let's say scale of one to five of how, how good they are. I'm going to leave you the intricacies of that to you. Okay. So the California Adams. So we want to rate this particular team. Oddly, I kind of liked the whole uniform logo thing that they were doing there. Yep. The two drawbacks that we have here is number one, it's just California. There's other teams in California at this time as well. So (laughs) number one, rude. And then um, number two, the Adams. I don't really get the tie in with California and the Adams. Atomic Adams, you know what I mean? I guess, I don't know, maybe there's nuclear plants there. I'm not sure where they tried to pull that. So I'm going to have to go lower. I'm not going to knock it out because I like actually like the logo and the uniform. So I'll probably go with a three right in the middle there. I think as far as bad team names go, it's not too bad, but you're right. I wonder if this is a situation where they're meant to be from somewhere else because the I don't think the uniform just says, says California. I think it just says Atoms. It has right. none of the players' names. It just says Atoms on the back. <laughs> right. Um, I think this might have been relocated from somewhere else to be California. It's possible. And the other one we get in this is the Michigan Mammoths, which just sounds like a Madden creator team. And oddly enough, outside of those, all the teams are actual NFL teams. So everyone they reference, Browns, the Raiders, Green Bay, I mean, they really go through a lot of the league, especially at the time in 76. I mean, they might have hit them all. But then the two teams that kind of face up are the fake teams, which is the Adams and the Mammoths. Yeah. I think as as far as they go, we're going to get to much worse worse than these. But the oh for sure the atoms and the mammoths. So the atoms. Oh, actually, the other thing I was going to say before we go on here, I'm going to make one small change to this film that would take Gus from being this forgotten classic that we are now talking about to one of the all time comedy movies, one of the all time football movies, and a beloved family classic. Mm-hmm. And that is to replace Don Knotts with Rodney Dangerfield. Oh, there it is. Yeah, I like that. I'm a I'm, I like Rodney. I'm a big Rodney Dangerfield fan. Don Knotts and Rodney Dangerfield are kind of the same. They're kind of like bumbling. Rodney's got a bit more menace to him, but like Rodney in this role as like the bumbling coach, Coach Venner, I think would be amazing. I agree. Yeah, they do. They do have similarities. They both kind of got that bugged eyes, freaked out, shocked looking kind of thing all the time. Yeah, Rodney Dangerfield would be great. But uh, Don Knotts was pretty good. Don Knotts oddly was not in this as much either. I expected no. to see more of him. He really wasn't in it a whole bunch. No, he was um he was used well. I think I could have got sick of him. Yeah. So the Adams, they're by far the worst team in the league. They haven't won a single game in years. I should say, I've downloaded this from this summary from another place, because we're gonna get into a comment here that I don't necessarily agree with. Their cheerleaders are fat and ugly. Just women. Brutal. Brutal. <laughs> 
the the main cheerleader is clearly supposed to be like a bit of a bit of a nerd. Like clearly, the joke is she's fat, just a normal sized woman. Yeah, they were trying to say that they were older and that they were out of shape. And that was kind of like a joke, I guess, within itself, because you have typically very fit women doing this. Even the coach, one of the jokes he made is he said something like, you know, next year we have a new policy. If the ladies are married for 10 years or more, have three, three kids, they're out. That was like the joke. If they're married for 10 years or have three kids, this is a 70s movie for sure. I'm not sure the cheerleader scene would cut it these days. Get real Dan Snyder energy from it. Because it's the owner and one of the managers talking about it. And and they're basically like, (laughs) where do we get these uggos from? But again, just normal looking women. Like one of them might have been north of 40, but I think they might have aged her up. And the other one had a bit of a big ass. They could have, have hammed it up more. You know what I mean? Like real weird looking features or something. But yeah, you're right. They look like normal, normal women. Yeah. And it says even the marching band is awful, which I think is pretty harsh because the marching band don't really play. It's because they come on screen and it's literally, they just cut to John Philip Sousa music. They're not even, they don't look like playing uh, <laughs> the, the marching band leader trips over and then everyone piles on top of him and then and the music plays normally the it is it's time. the the, Was- the washington post march oh it's horrible and then the scene concludes with the head cheerleader the, that role will be played by melissa mccarthy uh i think today if we were doing that um who ends up clearly not her tumbling through the um the big bass drum and, and out the other side so so that's quite funny fat people doing right. these is funny this is the 1970s they're desperate to draw fans to the game in any way. And the owner, Ed Asner, wants a great halftime show. So his secretary, Debbie, mentions to him, why don't you get this field goal kicking mule from Yugoslavia? It was apparently such big news. He was on the front page of the Yugoslavian newspaper. Because the, the gimmick is that he can kick a soccer ball through the goal from anywhere on the field. His team is so bad. His cheerleaders are so bad. The band's so bad. All he wants is a good halftime show. Like desperate desperately and even though this is disney and they could have done some sort of horrible rendition of it's a small world after all like they did in the super bowl (laughs) or they could have maybe gone with like a wardrobe malfunction (laughs) exposing uh janet jackson's pierced nipples they instead decide to go with a mule that kicks a football so i get get it boy do the people respond to that we'll get we'll get we'll get to that (laughs) they're impressed uh, the manager is suitably impressed enough with gus that he brings him to the u.s and uh well, yeah, I thought it was quite funny. A scene of Andy was sitting on the plane, and as the window went by, you saw Gus sitting behind him. In the- <laughs> yeah, this movie was good with a lot of like little things like that. Just the, those quick hits were really solid. Yeah. This one. Um, so, meanwhile, Ed Asner is a compulsive gambler who owes a lot of money to two mobster bookmakers, Charles Gwynn and Cal Wilson. I didn't really get that vibe that he owed them money. I didn't either. There was definitely an element of like cooked up drama for no reason i thought yeah almost like a mcguffin or, or what have you it, it seemed like very teams out of money like we have no money and, and if we don't do something the team's gonna we're gonna lose the team like that was the whole the whole vibe behind it i will say they mentioned that ed asner's character is a garbage tycoon and this reminded me of did you see the documentary on netflix about the the trashes hockey team Oh, no. You've got to have a look at it. I recommend this for everyone. It's called the Bad Sport Documentary Series. I can't remember what the episode is called. It might be called Playing for the Mob or something like that. But basically, somewhere in Connecticut, I think, this guy was clearly connected to the mob, had the garbage 
collection racket. And his son was like a proper Fred Durst type product of the 90s, like <laughs> big Limp Bizkit, Link Putt, like kind of that 90s dirt bag. And for his 16th birthday, yeah, his yeah. dad bought him a uh, minor league hockey franchise. And he was like, we are going to have the, uh, sorry, I should say the kid was a decent hockey player, but ruined his knee, but he was a thug on the ice. So he, he then set about running the team in his image and there were like payments under the table to get like better players in. He hires his old coach from high school to be the team's equipment manager. And this guy is the loosest unit I've seen on a dog. He's sitting there smoking a cigar. He's talking about how he used to turn the uh, the hot water off in the visitors' change rooms. Like when he was coaching high school kids, he's like, I just see one of them and skate <laughs> over and pick him off. It is incredible. If you haven't seen it, it is it is this kid living out a creator team and they're called like the, the it might be the Waterbury Trashers or something like that. It is amazing. And that's on Netflix? Yeah, bad sport. Check it out. But it, it just reminded me of this because um, Ed Asner's character is a garbage mogul because at one point the news uh, the newscaster says, um, he, he makes a joke and then spells it out. I, I can't remember quite what it was, but it's garbage mogul, mogul be hoping his team isn't garbage. And by that, I mean really bad or something like that. It's right. it's very well very well spelt out. So when Ed Asner tells them that he, he can't pay them because he's broke, they give him a last chance bet. If the Adams win the Super Bowl, he owes them nothing. But if they do not win the Super Bowl, the gamblers get the team from him. And they imply that they might do him physical harm or worse, kill him. I don't know if maybe this was taken out of the Disney Plus version. There is none <laughs> of that. We didn't see that. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, what we saw was the owners sitting with his bud. He doesn't really seem to be like his bud. He seems like a snake in the grass, but it's that, like, chummy, hey, 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 like, we're, we're buddies. And the owner is trying to get money for the team, so he wants to place a bet. And the bet was that they would win half their games, which was seven games. So you can see the time frame. So there's 14 in a season here in 76. And somehow they went from winning zero the year before this bet went from seven and the guy just escalates it to be like, you have to go and win the Super Bowl, which is utterly ridiculous. I mean, it's it's an insane bet. I mean, there's no rational thought how you go from winning zero games the year before to not just winning seven, but escalating it to winning the Super Bowl. It, complete madness. But that's how the plot kicks in. That's it. He agrees to it because he doesn't feel like he has a choice. And if he loses, he loses the football team. Basically what it boils down to. Which is a plot we've seen before. You know, the the skiers have to beat the bullies to save the youth club. It's it's all that. Essentially, it's kind of, as you say, it's the MacGuffin. I don't know if maybe this was a subplot that was just somehow excluded, like how they, they cropped out the butts in that mermaid movie with Tom Hanks on Disney+. Plus. I don't really know. But anyway, that's the conceit, is that basically if the Adams don't win the Super Bowl, it's all over. Now, this summary I've got kind of jumps around a bit, and it kind of it cuts out one of the movie's major subplots. And that's with Dick Butkus, who I'm going to start off by saying he's fucking enormous. Yeah. He's in a movie about football players and he is just twice the size of them. He is huge. Uh, and he's getting around in like little, little cardigans and uh, he's excellent. excellent. <laughs> he's on a date with Debbie, <laughs> or at least they, they look like they've been going out for a while. I think at the start of year, he, uses one of those great 70 terms, like, are we going steady or something like that? But essentially, he gets cucked by Andy. It's the quick way yeah. of... Well, and 
It's in the weirdest way, too. All right, is it when they're on the date and the owner calls and says, like, you got to watch Andy? That's when it starts off. They're on a date, and then the owner tells her, like, can you go and pick up this guy from the airport? And he's like, hang on, I thought we were on a date. And and already, so the seeds of jealousy are planted. Yeah, it's a, it's a very weird 70s pre-time thing to do where they're like, I want you to stay with this guy and watch this guy and take care of this guy. And she makes a joke, a, a reference about her not being able to dance. There's like very low key prostitution vibes going on in that phone call. Um, and her boyfriend's sitting right there. Kiss is getting all pissed off. What are you prousing anyway? Are we going together or not? Perhaps rightly so. It's that that's a kind of major subplot. And it, there is a lot of tension, certainly from Butkus to Andy. And again, this doesn't really go into into the summary, but like there's one part where he flies off the field and tackles Andy on the sideline and like knocks him out. And he, oh yeah, at training, tries to jump the line and come through, and Gus kicks him through the goalposts at one point. If there was, see, it's hard to say because I would say for me, if there was a villain and I looked at it, it would be Dick Butkus. Now, obviously, you have the bet is the other subplot. So you have the owner and the guy who bet against the owner. Now he's trying to stop Gus, but then Dick Buckus is trying to stop Andy the whole time. He's definitely a main character. I mean, if you don't know who Dick Buckus is, you you probably should. Seven-time All-Pro Hall of Famer linebacker from the Bears. And this he he played from 65 to 73 and this movie was made 3 years after that. So he was relatively new off retirement. He looked like it. Yeah, I mean, he's a he's a massive guy. Yeah. But he's in a ton of stuff. He's in Any Given Sunday, The Last Boy Scout. He was in Gremlins 2. Is he still going around? Has he passed away? You know, I don't know. I, I think he may have passed. I think he had too. He's one of the all-time great names. I think even if you don't follow the NFL that closely, um, obviously Dick Butker's very funny name. No, he's still, he's still going around. Turned to 79 in December. So Good for him. You know, Sorry there, Dick. Yeah. Yeah, he's uh recognizes one of the best linebackers in history and always will be. And I mean, I think kind of with the name Dick Buckus, you kind of have to. It's kind of like a, a girl named Sue, right? From Johnny Cash. I mean, the man had to probably fight and scrap growing up, I'd imagine. Yep. Fearsome man, for sure. And he was kind of that. Yeah. I don't know if he was the first, but he's certainly part of that tradition of the cow of the uh, the Bears middle linebacker being one of the glamour positions in the NFL. Right. And and he plays um he's the Adams only good player as well in this. The the cool thing about him is he plays the bad guy. I mean he's a super he's a football superstar mm. but he takes on the role in this movie as basically the bad guy. You know, the guy that the lady doesn't want, who's jealous of the new guy. You know, back in the seventies football players weren't like they are now. They were a different breed of, of character back then. Yeah. He's a bit of a nerd in this too. Yeah. Good for, good for Dick Butker. So anyway, the Adams are losing their first game. They should say that it starts off by them saying that they didn't even manage to score a point in their preseason. So that's how bad the Adams are. And they're losing their first game. But Gus comes out as the halftime show and Andy gets a bit scared and Gus gets a bit scared. But Gus comes out eventually and, and shows off his kicking. So he kicks a football the entire length of the field. It's the first time he's kicked a football. In the second half, Gus is put into the game to kick a field goal. It's like that classic Airbud situation. Well, the the rules don't say that you can't have a mule, so we're going to put a mule in the game. Right. Very Bill Belichick. <laughs> <laughs> Show me where it says no. <laughs> exactly. Um, and this is this is the first time we see Unitas and and Hogan's heroes as well, because 
Hogan's they're they're kind of the Jim Nance and Tony Romo or the um the Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth. You've got the the old football head and the the commentator. And Hogan's genuinely funny in this as the commentator who won't let his special his his co-commentator get a word in. Yeah, absolutely. Johnny Unitas kind of starts talking. So you first you see Johnny Unitas and then the other guy sits down and then he just will not let him get a word in edgewise. And it's uh it's hilarious. Yeah, you don't have to be a Johnny Unitas to know that the only chance those Adams have is to pass that ball, right, Johnny? Right. Take it from the old pepper. Now, if I were that quarterback, I'd, I'd come right out throwing. Throw, throw, throw! You know, Johnny Unitas was great there. I mean, obviously, jo- Johnny Unitas, as you know, is my favorite quarterback of all time. But he was uh, he was also friends with my grandfather. Oh, wow. So, yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, this ever come up? Say what? Did this ever come up in their discussions? No, you know, I have no idea. I don't know if they ever talked about the movie Gus. <laughs> there's a uh, there's a club in Baltimore, 4100 Club. It's in uh, Brooklyn, Baltimore. And that's where he hung out. Both him and my grandfather belonged to this club. And him and Johnny Unitas hung out all the time. My mom, growing up, she would have dinner with him. Wow. You know, he would just come and sit down and... And talk, and then eventually, you know, my dad and marrying my mom, he went out to the 4100 club with my grandfather, and his head exploded when Johnny Unitas came over and sat down and shook his hand and started having drinks with him. But, you know, as I mentioned earlier, football players back then, now they're kind of prima donnas, superstar movie stars. Whereas back then, they were just, they were respected, but they were, you know, they were just guys. My mom said, always said, my grandfather always said that they're just, you know, he was salt of the earth person. He was like your neighbor next door. And he's a football player. You know, I mean, he was what you expect from a football player. He was a, a man's man. He just knew he had the best job in the world. That was it. He didn't get paid like it. Yeah, I've always, uh, from time to time, I'll hear a story in my family of uh, Johnny Unitas. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm sure that given the opportunity that um, we could have got Johnny on the podcast to talk about his role in the film. But sadly, he's uh, he's dearly departed. He died died quite young. I'm pretty sure he died in his sort of 50s or 60s, didn't he? Yes, in 2002. Oh, there you go. 69. Nice. Died September 11th, 2002. Never forget. So, yeah, Johnny Yu. Haircut you could set your watch to. Oh, <laughs> for sure. I, I really liked him in this. I did too. Uh, Hogan was good as well. I thought that was some of the better parts. And yeah, he, throughout the film, there's running jokes of Hogan won't let Unitas get a word in. And he's like, not in my life is this ever going to happen. I'll tell you, uh, if I'll walk to China. I'm not here. I'll eat my hat, all of this stuff. If Gus is allowed to play, and lo and behold, Gus is allowed to play. Yeah. Almost immediately, uh, Unitas reads out a fax from the NFL explaining the rule to the crowd, which is which is an interesting moment. Gus comes into the game, kicks every a field goal every time the Adams have possession, and, and they win the game, their first game of the season. Apparently here, according to this summary, Andy tells the other players to throw the ball to him and Gus will kick a touchdown, which, according to this summary, an obvious reference to Garo Yuprimian of the 1972 Super Bowl Dolphins, who notoriously infuriated Larry Sonka by running off the field yelling, I kick touchdown. <laughs> which Okay, sure. Which is um, interesting, given the other stuff they've not included in this. Yeah, I... I think at this point, Buck has tackled Andy, which I thought was a big deal. Uh, I think that, Did that happen at this point? I think that might have been later? in the second game. 
Um, okay. It, it was certainly after he started to get annoyed with him that he was taking some of the shine off it, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, actually, I'll tell you For what, sure. it is in their second game because a little bit further down because... Um, yeah, we'll get we'll get there. Uh, I know what you're going to say. What's a tits? Debbie... Uh, has to go and look up. <laughs> has to go and look after Andy, as he says. She's kind of his chaperone, because um, sh- she can speak Serbian. Yeah, I mean, who can? All you have to do is forget a couple words, and then maybe add a da in there <laughs> instead of the. Uh, and there's an obvious romance budding between them. Um, Gus is an intelligent mule, and he clearly tries to push him together. So Debbie has a date with Dick Butkus, and Gus feigns an injury to get her to stick around because Andy sort of says, I don't want to go out if Gus isn't unwell. And so Debbie wants, uh, Gus isn't well. So Debbie sticks around with him and she cancels her date with Dick Buckus. And basically because Gus is a real emotional blackmailer. Yeah. Yeah. It was weird. It's like for a lady who has a boyfriend, she was quick to not want to go on a date with them. Like right off the bat, he's asking her out on a date and she's like, Oh, I wish I could cancel my date with Rob. I don't know how I'd get out of it. <laughs> and then the mule, the mule fakes it because he's he's wise on it. And then Andy's like, quote, says in my country, when dinner date is canceled, it's canceled. And then she's like, I think I like your country. Like, what? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we've all known we've all known people like that. But <laughs> come on, this girl is trifling. It was like straight out of an adult <laughs> special interest film. And it's like, oh, I couldn't possibly go. I couldn't possibly have anything from you, pizza boy pool boy, stepbrother, any of that. And then all of a sudden, right. what I did like in this scene, Debbie is a stamp collector to go along with Andy's butterfly collection. Never comes up, but it's sort of mentioned. Andy gets a letter from home. Andy's sent the clipping of Gus being a hero home and his dad's written back a letter that's like, nah, mate, you're a fucking joke. Um, right. your, bro- your, your brother's the, the, the hero. The donkey's the star, right? <laughs> you, yeah, you just hold the ball for the donkey. Your brother's the star. Um, Wrong kid, Dad. But as, as he's reading the letter, Debbie says to him, can I have the stamp, please? Which, okay, that's a nice little detail. But Debbie tries to cheer him up, and she says, how about I write you a cheerful letter? And that's very 1970s to me because, A, you're standing there with him. So if you've got something to say, just say it now. If you're going to, like, crack wires, you're going to try and say, why are you writing someone a letter? Also, what's entailed in a cheerful letter? <laughs> Is this, like, 70s send nudes? Like, <laughs> I can't say, <laughs> would seeing my, my pointy 70s boobs cheer you up? <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, I guess they can't send memes or anything, you know? Like, <laughs> you know, your girl's getting all sad. You just send her, like a like, a goofy gif. Like this, they go and they write the letter and they wait two days. And I guess you hope they're still in, in a bad mood in two days and that letter will cheer them up. Yeah, it's an odd first response, but... Um, I know you're upset now, but wait two days. Yeah. You'll be you'll be happy again. But Butkus is sitting by the phone. He's been stood up. He calls the ranch where uh, Andy and Gus are staying. It says, is, is Debbie there? The ranch guy says no they've gone to the drive-in movies yeah totally sold her out so butkus goes to the drive-in movies to confront them i mean you see where this is going at the head of time he's obviously going to go to the wrong car and he goes to the wrong car yeah and we get a cameo from richard keel jaws himself happy gilmore's boss who is big enough to scare dick butkus and i think that's maybe how they cast that role absolutely the dude is massive and he looks the same in this movie and in happy gilmore yep Aged very well. 
I beg to differ. Happy Gilmore accomplished that feat no more than an hour ago. <laughs> That's exactly it. One of the great, great lines. I had to hit it off Frankenstein's fat foot. So that's a that's a fun a fun scene as well. Yeah, and Dick Butkus pulls up on a Ford LTD, which is nice. I noticed that. I think it might have been his own car. It might have been. It might have been. It was a nice car. Not only is uh, Richard Keel the car that he rips off. Did you say it was a Volkswagen Bug? This tiny little thing, and then this giant Richard Keel pops out the top. It was definitely uh, like a. This is the largest automobile I could afford. Everyone needs to drive an automobile, <laughs> sort of. My, or um. Another one we'll probably come back to in the show, Hightower in Police Academy 1 in the tiny car ripping the seats out. Yeah. But that's, I guess, notionally a funny scene. <laughs> so the Adams go into win their next few games thanks to Gus getting field goals every time and they place, uh, they're running first in their division. But the catch is that Gus will only kick for Andy because Andy catches the snap and puts it down and says, Oi! And Gus kicks. Oyage! That comes into play as the, the film develops. He's described at one point as as the four-legged George Blander, uh, which I thought was quite funny. And at, at one point, again, Butkus, unhappy that, uh, again, he's getting cucked by Andy, flies off the field, hits Andy on the sidelines, and Andy is carried onto the field in a stretcher, and they basically put his hand up on the ball to hold it, <laughs> and he can barely muster that. And I tell you what, we got Antonio Brown complaining about having to go in injured. That is nothing. Yeah. <laughs> compared he couldn't even stand the man was on a stretcher which i thought was kind of kind of strange in general but he had his finger out there it was, it was pretty funny that was a pretty funny but it was it was um where would you if you had if let's say gus was not a mule but an actual person yeah and he had the, the hundred yard leg and never missed where would he go in an nfl draft 101 oh i i would think so kickers are hard to come by you know, I mean, like a good kicker. Yeah, he would have to. He's winning games. Like, they're just going four and out and kicking this thing every time. Basically, um, I mean, there's zero credit given to the defense here, who apparently shambolic, but are still... Yeah, that's a good point, too. They're holding them back. Able to... Because, yeah. like, Gus is not kicking 10 field goals a game. I think he he maybe breaks the record in one of them. They say he's kicked a record. But he's, like, hitting 21, 24 points. You know, it's three yards in a cloud of dust, but still, like, yeah. it's hardly... um. Uh, hardly world-beating scores. Yeah, and the, yeah, you're right. The defense would have to hold him because otherwise it would be touchdown to three points, touchdown to three points. Touchdown. <laughs> that math just does not work out. Yeah. I don't think that you can even draft a kicker that high, even if he's going to get it every time all over the field. I think if you knew it was guaranteed, then I, I don't know. Was it Sebastian Janikowski? Was he a, was he a first-round pick? I think he might still be the earliest kicker ever picked. Yeah, he might be. Oh, surely he's a first-rounder. Gus. Yeah, yeah. Guy taking first <laughs> round. Why not? Come on. You, you big donkey mule. <laughs> Meanwhile, the gamblers from before, maybe mafia men, who's to say, getting upset about the team's success, not wanting the Atoms to win, they hire two incompetent criminals and con artists called Crankcase, played by Tim Conway, and Spinner, played by Tom Bosley, Mr. C himself. These are like your classic bumbling idiot. This is like your Horace and Jasper in 101 Dalmatians. Like, this is a classic trope. Now, right. Tim Conway and Don Knotts were like a uh, a movie comedic duo at this time as well. And I think they made eight or nine films together. This is the only film where they don't share a scene. Interesting. You know, it'd be like going to see an Abbott and Costello film and they don't get to share any screen time. It's like me and you going on a podcast together and then having separate times. You do the first hour, I do the mm. second. Makes no sense. I think Should've so. Got these guys together. 
It was a little hard to buy in because they're supposed to be these con men thug guys, but they're just like door salesmen. You know, I mean, Tom Bosley's the yeah, the dad from Happy Days. <laughs> like, I just couldn't buy in that he's some con man thug, you know? I mean, I could buy that he was going to maybe try to sell me a vacuum or something. It's It was hard to see Mr. C playing a, a villain. Yeah. I thought he was really good. Definitely anti-Semitic at one point, but I thought they were both pretty good. And like, I tell you what, if you thought the uh, a field goal kicking mule was wacky, if you thought the bet to keep the team was wacky, well, now we reach all new levels of wackiness. Because basically these two just try and stop. They try and kidnap Gus. They try and stop Gus getting to the game. And this is the bulk of the physical slapstick comedy in this film. Absolutely. And they do it in very wholesome GPG ways as well that you really wouldn't see today. Probably just kill the donkey play <laughs> in modern times. <laughs> but these guys are like, they do all sorts of crazy finagling that we'll get to. Overly complex plots to, to rue the day of this, this mule. It was, yeah, very convoluted schemes. I, I kind of liked it. But for the next game, Crankcase, that's uh, Tim Conway, shows up impersonating a replacement driver for the horse trailer. And a lot, this is a different era because a lot of times they just call up someone, get information, and the other person on the other end of the phone is like, here's everything you would need to know to run a scam. <laughs> and they're like, oh, thank you. You've been so helpful. And then you see them scheming away. It's a, it's a different time. <laughs> Operator, can you give me their address? Can you give me their social security number? Thank you. Appreciate it. So th- he, he shows up as a the driver with the horse trailer to get Gus to the game. And I actually, I thought this is the point where I was like, this film's gone from like a bit of a silly kid's film to actually pretty funny stuff. Right. He rocks up and he sees Andy and Gus. He says to Andy, oh, you must be Gus. And he goes, no, no, I'm Andy, the, the mules Gus. He goes, oh, I'm not good with faces. <laughs> good line. <laughs> Which I thought was really good. And then he says to him, I'm your driver this week. I'll take you on a shortcut. And they get lost in like the San Fernando Valley or something like that. And he's looking at his map and he's folding in all sorts of directions and folding it, can't fold it up. Eventually just throws it out of it, throws it out of the car. <laughs> goes, I will work it out. And they, they run out of fuel. Well, he promised, I should say, he promises Andy to get Gus, that they'd get to see Gus in action during the game. They run out of fuel, so Gus ends up pulling the car and the horse float. And he says to him, I told you we'd get to see him in action. (laughs) Pretty funny joke. Yeah, the humor really amps up with these with these two on the scene. Yeah. For sure. Um, the you've still got the subplot of of tension. Andy ends up on sort of a proto-zoom call to his parents via the news. Yeah. Where he's on the this sports show and they say, Hey, we got a surprise, we got your family back in Yugoslavia. The guy says, Oh, here's your son Andy, the American his dad. Ah, fuck him. He's not a hero. <laughs> he, he is the real hero, Stefan. He's just won the World Cup for Yugoslavia and they're loving him. And the sportscaster's like, hang on, we're talking about Andy here. Like really pushes back up. <laughs> right, it's right. like, we're not talking about uh, Stefan. We're talking about Andy. Andy's the hero. He's, ah, he's not the hero. His finger's the hero. His finger does all the work, which not too dissimilar, but his, his dad's a real dick. And he doesn't back down at all. And this is where the news, the, the announcer says, what soccer is to the rest of the world is what football is to America. I thought that was a very good line and a very true line. He's like, my other son's this soccer star. And he's like, well, what soccer is to the rest of the world, football is to America. Andy's mother's a little bit more supportive. She just, she can't get a word in. Yeah. It's sort of, that continues as well. Douchebag dad. So the police, uh, the Adams lose the game because uh, Gus doesn't show up. 
Andy doesn't show up. Uh, so they know, well, it says Cooper, the Ed Asner's character, knows the gamblers were behind this. So he hires security guards for Gus and Andy. Mr. C dresses up as one of the security guards, their boss, and goes to them to review the security around Gus. Uh, the other bloke distracts the security guard and, and gets them to run into a field of cactuses. That's a... <laughs> Is <laughs> oh, he has a fake mule head that he's going behind the hedge and they all like run after it like a bunch of clowns and jump on him but they jump through the bushes into a bunch of cactus cacti, that's a actually. that's a classic um a kids film trope but while this is happening uh-huh. mr c goes and gets goes gets gus drunk yep so um yeah he just he dumped i would say probably two bottles of vodka into his trough and into his bucket and since he's from Yugoslavia, I guess that makes him a Moscow mule. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you that one. Moscow, not in Yugoslavia, but... Uh, no, Yugoslavia mule. Could go, I'll give you a um, Montenegro mule. <laughs> I don't know how much vodka would kill a mule, but I actually had to look that up because I was like, can, do mules, can they drink vodka? Like, what? where did that even come from? Do you know where that comes from? I have no idea. I'm looking here at how much alcohol to kill a horse. And what are we what are we looking at? Hopefully there's no results. I don't, I don't know if two bottles of vodka would kill it, whether it had much an effect. It's a big horse, a big mule. Mules are pretty big. Yeah, he, he got him drunk. And that's what I thought. I was like, man, you're going to kill that mule. And then I thought of the Mo- Moscow mule because I tried to find out how much how much alcohol a mule could drink. And then I could only find Moscow mule stuff, <laughs> different recipes, where they came from. I'm like, I don't need to make a drink. I just need to find out if it's going to kill a mule, which is way more dark anyway. I mean, it's good that it's not on the internet. Well, if we get enough support on uh, Patreon and, and Twitter and so forth, we'll... Uh- we will get a mule drunk and find out how much uh, vodka it takes to kill an animal. Obviously, we'll live stream that. Feel, feel free to ch- chip in. Legal, legal purposes, we won't be there ourselves, but, uh, but we'll, we'll get it done. Yeah, yeah, we'll work it out somehow. But So Gus is drunk. They take him to the game, and it's it's being proclaimed Gus Day. The mayor is there, assorted dignitaries, and Gus is stumbling around. Like This is some really good mule acting, I thought. It's really brought the mule to the next level for me. This is when the mule went from being good to great. It was awesome. Crisscrossing his legs. Fantastic. Outstanding performance. And the crowd, they're all geared up to see Gus and cheer him on. And they realize he's drunk. And the crowd starts filing out of there. They're like, they've come to see Gus. He showed up. (laughs) Well, I've got no time to watch this. Uh, Thank you very much. I came here for family entertainment, not to see a drunk mule. And Gus predictably, the mayor goes to put some award on him. And Gus just loses his shit. He picks the mayor up on his back. And like the the mayor's face is on his bum. That's funny. He's just hauling ass, just knocking everything down, knocking everyone down. Exactly. It's like that big bird gif where he's stumbling in, knocking over the boxes. That's He knocks down the, the fat and ugly cheerleaders. That was like the big finale of them all like, oh, like falling and screaming. Yeah. Why would you leave for that? Guy drunk mule? Ugh. Pay to see that, not leave when it's there. No, we're crazy. He, he misses his kicks, and he Ugh. goes to line up a kick. And now, my significant other, smart, sophisticated, good sense of humor, terrible taste in men, woman. I have not heard her laugh as hard as she did when Gus sat on the football and popped it. It was best part of the movie. <laughs> I laughed out loud as well. He just plops onto the football instead of kicks it, 
the football pops in this big thing of air and his tongue <laughs> from a profile side goes completely out of his mouth as he does this mule like sound <laughs> hilarious i've never i don't know how they got him to do it i have no idea how they got him to do it that probably took a thousand shots for that to happen hilarious best part his of the movie. tongue's lolling out he's just uh it's if you can find just that scene on YouTube, then definitely do, because it is very, very funny. And it was unexpected, too. You expected him to kick it and it hit the coach in the head or do something slapsticky. Instead, he just plops down on it, hard plop. It was great. It was great. It's clearly like a trick that he can do to sit down, because he doesn't go down quickly either. He very much eases himself down, like uh, to borrow a line from Seinfeld, like an old man sinking into a bath. Yeah, that was good. I'm glad she found it funny too. Me too. So their next scheme, that one having worked and costing the Adams a game, before the playoff game, the big first playoff game, Mr. C and the other guy call Andy and tell him that Debbie has been in a horrible car accident and is seriously injured. This is where we get the sort of the anti-Semitic Jewish doctor from Mr. C. It's very much like, Oi, hey, don't come down here. Like, what am I telling yeah. you? You'll come, hey, you'll come to the hospital. She's unwell. Sounds a bit more like the Count. Right. Um, so Andy dashes to the hospital without Gus, and he basically like keeps him there. He's like, oh, she'll need a transfusion. What blood type are you? He says, I don't know. She got perfect. That's the one she needs. <laughs> they get him to change out of his clothes, and then they throw his clothes away. It's just classic slapstick comedy. We've missed a whole bit here, but we'll circle back perhaps. What okay. is in this bit is the gamblers come to Ed Asner, and Ed Asner, not without a cigar in any scene in this movie, he's shaving while smoking a cigar. Uh, there's another scene where he's fully dressed, yelling at someone while they're in the shower and the water is pouring all over him. Yelling at Dick Buckus. Yeah, yeah. And that was a good scene too. He gave him a fine and then he's like, and you got to pay for this suit because he's standing in the shower <laughs> and you got to give me a box of cigars. He just kept going on. on. But the, the gambler comes in. He's like, oh, yeah, your mule, he's, he's lost it. He can't do it. He can't kick. And Ed Asner says to him, there's an old Yugoslavian saying, never switch mules in the middle of a shave, uh, which he says to him while shaving cigar in mouth, which I thought was was quite funny. And it's also at this point that Butkus has just had enough and he yeah. tries to tackle Andy at practice and Gus kicks him through the posts because he, he jumps it and he gets traded to the Michigan Mammoths. That's right. The only other team that's not an actual NFL team. So you knew that it was plot worthy the second it happened. And the commentators are like, well, he's probably come too late in the season to really help him. But as we said off the top, they make it to the Super Bowl. So ran the table. Right. We also get a great line from Ed Asner in here. If I wanted someone to think I'd have hired the Supreme Court. What do you mean he isn't with you? We just brought the mule. We thought Andy was with you. You thought? You thought? I hired you guys for muscle. If I wanted somebody to think, I'd have hired the Supreme Court. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's us for comedy or maybe the 70s Supreme Court. It's hard to tell. Yeah, it, it could be. It could be a, a real dig at whoever was on the Supreme Court then. Ruth right. Bader Ginsburg, she was old. She's probably been on there for a while. Yeah, she was definitely there at that time, I'm sure. So back to the hospital scene, they're like stuffing around. Andy eventually manages to escape, but he's he's wearing nothing but a hospital gown. 
they kind of chase him throughout the hospital. And I thought there was a pretty funny scene where Andy is hiding behind an X-ray screen, not realizing it's an X-ray screen. And Mr. C switches it on and sees a body behind there trying to hide. And then a cat joins in and there's an animated fight of the two of them and the cat behind the X-ray screen, which I thought was pretty good. I actually enjoyed that. I have a note that just said skeleton X-ray scene pretty neat because it was he first flicked it on and Andy was still it just looked like a picture of a skeleton and then when he flicked it on again it was a cat and then the whole joke ensued but the the actual fighting in x-ray and skeleton animation was pretty neat I mean it's clearly an animation but yeah again I thought it was a I've got here fight on the x-ray screen is pretty clever there it is clever and neat this film does have some high points Andy manages to escape the hospital wearing nothing but his hospital gown. Gus refuses to kick for anyone but Andy. What happens, even more ridiculous than a mule playing football, Debbie disguises herself as Andy, puts on his uniform, runs out there and uh, holds the ball and she's pleading with me, oi, do it for Andy and, and Gus kicks it and straight through the hey diddle diddle. Everyone thinks it's Andy and Andy gets there and instead of celebrating, he's like, well, if... Anyone can do it, then I'm not special. And he's he's just like, he's a real bitch. He's a real little bitch. That's what I thought. Very soft. What a soft, soft man. Number one, they don't have rules against mules in football, but they sure as hell have them against women. So she had to pretend to be Andy. What was that about? And then number two, Andy shows up and he's all sad about it. Come on, man. And Debbie's excited. She's like, we did it. And he's like... You did it. I'm getting out of here. I'm going back home. Yeah. And he basically goes to the airport to get on a flight to Yugoslavia. And everyone at the airport is saying to him, oh, Andy, where's Gus? You're so great. You're you're the man. But he doesn't want to hear about it. He wants to go back to the farm. To quote Elton John, he's going back to his plow. Yeah. Goodbye, mule brick road. (laughs) So dumb of Andy. He's all butthurt because he thinks that he's useless. Let's be honest. He is. He is useless. He, He is. Quite useless. Debbie chases him to the airport. Great airport chase scene. She kind of runs through. He's basically just sitting there to board and signing autographs for people. And she gives him some like proper real talk. Yeah. Basically says to him, if you go home, you, all you're going to do is prove your dad right that you are no one. Like she gives him a real dressing down. It, is, it isn't like we need you here to do it. It's like, grow up. Yeah. Stop being a punk. <laughs> like what's wrong with you? They might've been the actual dialogue. <laughs> it was not sad and, and nice. She's like, stop it. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Can't believe I left Dick Buckus for you. Exactly. Hero. Who cares if you're a hero or not? If you're not man enough to stay here and fight for something or somebody you care about. Okay, go, go ahead, run away. You're just going to prove to everybody that that, Zero on your uniform is right. At one point as well, sorry, just before this, they go to see Gus and Gus is is sad because Andy's left. And the vet describes it as saying, if this was my great aunt, I'd say she Gus has the vapors, which <laughs> another great <laughs> right. uh, story from the era. You get the fun scene uh, after this of Ed Asner being on the phone to Debbie saying, where is this guy? What's he going to do? And Andy walks in behind him and he's like, uh, I'm right here. And he doesn't realize it's the classic, like looks around and there he is. So the Adams have reached the Super Bowl and Mr. C and the other guy, this is their last roll of dice to steal Gus. I mean, they've been pretty successful throughout at these. And I think yep. maybe if they, if you said the first time they're going, just two in the back of the head, <laughs> movie's over. Done. Longest part would be that intro. <laughs> Mr. C disguises himself as a Boy Scout leader, 
stuck across the middle of the road. Andy, despite having seen this man a number of times, doesn't recognize him. I think he's got a, a false mustache or something. He's very naive, Andy. They try to help dig this bus out, and while he's distracted, they pull the old switcheroo and they swap Gus with a different mule who I would bet money on just being the same mule. <laughs> yeah. You don't see them both in the same shot, I'm pretty sure. I think it's I think it's the same mule. I mean, why, why buy another mule? And for some reason, they go to a local motel and lock Gus up with them. Big scene where they're trying to sneak Gus in. It seemed wildly unnecessary. It's, I mean, number one, I don't know, you have the carrier. You can go anywhere. You can park on the side of the road. Could have driven to Mexico. Or two in the back of the head. <laughs> Light a cigar and a job well done. Exactly. But yeah, they snuck him into the hotel, which, little fun scene. Happy Days was saying that he lost a contact. He says... Oh, I, I dropped my uh, one of my contact lenses. <laughs> <laughs> right. He ends up finding it and holds up his fingers like he's pinching something. The guy's like, I can't see. And he's like, maybe you need contact lenses. <laughs> and that was the scene. So while they're down looking for his contact lens, they sneak Gus up to the motel room and uh, they're in matching pajamas. The two bad guys. Yeah, most bad guys do that. I don't know if you do that. I've done a lot of studies on bad guys, <laughs> and like a lot of gangs will wear the same colors. They all wear the same pajamas when they go to bed. It's very what we call here thug life. <laughs> and these two are sort of set up in their Bert and Ernie style single beds. <laughs> In the motel room, the lights go off and of course Gus gets into one of their beds and I googled this because I was surprised there was not a Godfather joke. This came out after the Godfather because Gus gets into bed and Mr. C's line is like, why should I, how should I know why he's there? Maybe you remind him of his mother, which fun, fun line for kids, but I, I would have gone with be thankful it's not just the head. Yeah. Something along those lines. <laughs> Probably too dark for Disney. <laughs> They've locked Gus up. Andy's none the wiser because there's this this fake one. They've painted over his his marks to make him look like Gus. On the day of the, the big game, Mr. C and his mate turn on the TV. They, they plan to watch the Atoms lose. When Gus sees the Super Bowl and sees the camera zooms in on Andy, so saying oish so of course Gus then kicks the TV are you ready Gus oish explodes explodes and then in a rage Gus kicks down the door to escape from Mr. C and his mate they work out at the Super Bowl that it's the wrong mule because he won't kick Andy here's a bit of inside baseball for this film Andy's clearly got white paint on his hand and he's wiping it on the donkey rather than <laughs> yeah. wiping the paint off to reveal the white spot to see it's the not, not the real mule. So Andy realizes that it's not Gus. He and Ed Asner leave the game, uh, take off in a helicopter to search for Gus. Again, two in the back of the head, not a problem, but instead <laughs> Mr. C and his mate chase Gus into a local supermarket. There is not one man, oh, sorry, there is one man doing his shopping in the entire, the rest is just women pushing shopping carts around, around this supermarket. Conveniently yelling. <laughs> yes. They attempt to recapture Gus and people are kind of pretty cool with a mule being there. Yeah, until they try to actually grab the mule and the mule evades them in some way that results in them getting some sort of food on them or their balls hit. <laughs> Everyone was fine. And then once that happens, they yell and scream. This was probably the longest slapstick comedy time frame I've ever seen in a movie. This went on for a while. 
of them just one-on-one trying to get Gus, the mule, and Gus kicking him somehow or covering him in mustard or they're hitting a giant cake. Everyone's screaming and yelling. Everyone's still in the grocery store after 15 minutes of this mule apocalypse. (laughs) Far too long, but also quite funny. I felt it dragged. For me, the highlight was there's a... What can only be described as a 70 strong man with a proper like barrel chest, the rolls of invisible carpet under the arms. And again, a bit like Gus sitting on the ball. I implore you to find this man and his like 70s girlfriend. I couldn't find them on IMDb. I think they might have just been there. It's possible. They're like, put him in the film. Perfect. This guy was just, they don't make him like him anymore. He was your proper Johnny Bravo looking guy. Yeah, these dudes are big with, like, almost no definition. (laughs) But you can tell they're fit. But, like, the definition is gone. They're just big. Big arms, no real bicep lines, big biceps. They're fascinating. You only find them in the past. Vaudeville strongmen. They're like the the one singlet over the shoulder and they're like... Right, right. Eat lots of steak to be strong like me. (laughs) Exactly. And Mr. C's mate doesn't realise that he's not grabbed Gus's hoof, but he's grabbed this barrel-chested gentleman's girlfriend's platform shoe uh, he's holding onto and he comes around and he he picks him up and throws him into a trolley and pushes him across, across the aisle. But yeah, it's just mayhem, as you say. One of the really funny bits of this, I thought, was when the old woman was talking to the butcher and he says, man, we've got the freshest meat in town. And then Gus comes galloping past. Running out. <laughs> we package it all ourselves. That's how we built our reputation for having the freshest meat hey. in town. Hey. Freshest meat. I thought that was a good joke. I thought so too. A lot of product placement in the scene as well. I think they recouped some of the budget. Yeah, stuff I've never heard of too. <laughs> we have the stuff in there. I'm like, what is that? It's wheat O's. Stuff they don't make like asbestos O's or like these products <laughs> right, that can't exactly. exist. Paint chips for kids. It's like, what? <laughs> now with extra lead. Weird 70s brands that some you'd be surprised that were still around to kick it, but it was very clear product placement because they'd stand with their head right next to a box of cereal talking frosted flakes or um they're kid cereals basically yep gus fucks shit up he fucks the two mr c and his made up appears to be no consequences for them at all they're not arrested or anything gus leaves the supermarket <laughs> they never considered <laughs> they destroyed a whole grocery store and then they just kind of like saunter out What a time to be alive. I think it might be when they're in the motel and one of them says to the other i'd rather go back to jail than do this But that's the only time that it's sort of discussed that there might be consequences. So Gus leaves the supermarket. Andy and Ed Asner can see from Ed Asner's helicopter that Gus is there and they airlift Gus to the Super Bowl by halftime. This was clearly done with the mule hanging out of a helicopter and he is not comfortable in that whatsoever. He is freaking the fuck out. Yeah, I would be too. Yeah. Even as a uh, logical thinking human, that's horrifying. You're just hanging from a helicopter, getting put into a stadium of screaming people too on top of it. We also get the funny scene where Hogan is doing his rattle off. Uh, They've found him, but he's never going to get here in time. There's no way, I guarantee you. And Unitas cuts him off. He sees him and then he sort of does the same sort of fast talking cadence over the top of him. 
which is sort of a fun Johnny Yu getting one up over him. I feel like those two probably had a good time. Hogan's Heroes, he would have been a big star back in the day. They would have been two just broing out. Yeah, they complemented each other well. They seemed to go back and forth very well. Yeah, and that was Johnny Yu's uh, one-up. He got back at him for being cut off the whole movie. Well, at last, it's nice to come into your living room, everybody. If you think you've seen a miracle on a field, we've been treated to an even bigger one here in the booth. The old pepper has ground to a halt, but I think I know what he'd like to say. Week after week, game after game, play after play, have I ever been wrong? And now with all my insight, hindsight, and foresight, let me tell you, Mother, this is the greatest comeback in the history of American sports. Win or lose, the Adams have made it a game. I told you all along, and I'm telling you again, the mule is a team and a team's on the beam. Yes, sir, And how have the Adams been doing it, folks? No muss, no fuss, just gus. Right, Pepper? Right. Can we talk about the field? Yeah. I mean, that field was trash. Have you ever seen a field that's such trash? We're talking kiddie pool-sized mud puddles all over the football field. I've played football on a field like that before, Australian football on a field like that before with mud, but it is pissing down with rain. They mention, oh, it was raining earlier today, but this game's played in bright sunshine, and it is, you know the scene in The, the Longest Yard where they leave the hoses on the practice field and they are just sloshing around in the mud whatever it is it's like that you're right it's um yeah you wouldn't play in it these days and i kind of miss that in the nfl yeah i agree and it's something that i've played into just playing with no buddies and stuff but in the nfl you can't really do that not to that degree i mean there's definitely some mud but that is injuries waiting to happen all over the place I, i did love as well that everyone was covered in mud except for right at the very end andy is purely clean and Dick Butkus, no mud on his jersey either when he comes in. Yep, absolutely. With Gus back in the game, the Atoms come back hard, and as Gus makes several field goal kicks, they're still behind, but the Mammoths, I think, have five seconds left, and they're at the goal line. Like, at, at this point, you're in victory formation. There's no need to run a play at this point, but they, they try to punch it in, and what do you know, there's a fumble. It's recovered by the Atoms, and so they have one chance, Gus has to kick a hundred yard, uh, 101 or 102 yard field goal. And Andy says he's not accurate over a hundred yards. Cool. Me neither. Right, <laughs> right. I mean, what do you expect? Yeah. It comes down to the last kick and Gus slips in the mud and misses the football. There's a scramble for the ball. Gus kicks it to Andy, who is kind of standing off the side and recovers the fumble. And then Somehow it takes two minutes to run the length of the field. They clearly run more than 100 yards. There's, it's more like a rugby game than an American football game. 100%. There's passing back and sloshing around. It's getting knocked out. It's fumble here and slipping through the arms there and lateral passing to everyone. It's just chaos. My, this is my last note that I have is I guarantee this is what gave John Madden the idea for the Holy Roller. This scene here where it is fumbled the length of the field and Andy takes it to the house, runs 95 yards for the touchdown and wins the game. His parents are there in the crowd and I think his dad finally acquiesces and says like, actually, my kid is not a piece of shit. He's probably okay. It totally redeemed Andy. It was his moment of value besides holding a football, which I mean, it was it was nice. I'm still unsure about Andy, okay? I'm just going to be honest. Even after that great ending, I, I just, I don't, I don't care for him. No. But good for no, him. No, I don't care for him either. He had value. After the game, Andy is hailed as a hero, thus leaving Gus in the background for the first time. Don Knotts congratulates Andy. Ed Asner tells Gus, it's okay, everyone misses once. Uh, and as he walks off to celebrate with Andy and the rest of the team, 
Debbie winks at Gus and says, I know you did that on purpose. And Gus winks back at her. So we know that Gus was in on it all along. He knew that Andy had it in him. Debbie knew that Andy had it in him. I tell you what, I think Debbie had Andy in her later that evening. Well, Gus, you had a half stole of thunder, but don't let it get you down. Even the best of them slip once in a while. And that was the end of the film. No credits. It's just a hard cut to, um, for me, it was recommending that I watch the Shaggy DA. Before that whole scene happened where Gus faked the kick, it was a really weird filming choice. It had the fake crowd in the background, so it already kind of looked off. Zoom in on Andy, and then they would zoom in on Gus. But it didn't quite fit right, so they kept filming in higher and it was just this giant mule head <laughs> cut off on your skin like filling your whole tv just this massive half of a mule face yep. and they just kept doing it they kept zooming in and zooming in it just it, it felt very very strange to me. there was a lot of weird directorial choices in this as you say the the crowd and the there's a lot of rear lighting or rear projection which looks terrible there's clear stock footage the sound design is appalling weird directorial choices throughout. That was Gus. That was Gus. There was one other weird, strange thing that I noticed that's just something I forgot about is the refs, when they used to wanted to end the game, they would pull out a yeah. pistol from their pocket and shoot a, a starter yeah. gun, which is crazy. I remember that. I remember a lot of sports having those starter guns. I mean, obviously you remember them from racing, they pop and the, the racers take off. But yeah, in the NFL the refs would literally walk around with a starter gun in their pocket and they just pull this gun out. You hear that still sometimes where they'll talk about a field goal at the gun. What it was was they were entrusted to keep time. Officials kept time in the game. The game clock wasn't trusted. And then they wanted also a different different sound from the whistles and the the air horn. So they used the gun. Now the gun, it's it's a starter gun. So they only fire blanks. Like they typically have obstruction welded in the barrel. But I mean, is there anything more American than that? Like it's the end of the game and you pull out a gun and fire it in the air. The only thing more American would be if the team that won started shooting guns into the air, hopping up and down. No, that was... um, it was a good throwback. There was a couple of good throwbacks, like footballing throwbacks. Like there were helmets without uh, face masks. We talked about the, the straight on kicking and also the square toed kicker boots that the, the kicker wore. Yes. Because this, yeah. this predates the soccer style kicker. I can't remember what his name is. Um, the guy played for the Giants, but this was the like the toe poke era. Yeah, it was, it was cool to see. Actually, speaking of, I wonder if it'd be more interesting. I'm not saying it'd be more interesting, but a different film if if it was Stepan, or let's say Andy's the soccer superstar who's brought over to kick, and it turns out that Gus is better than him, and then he's like, "Hang on, oh. I've been upstaged by Gus. I'm I'm good at kicking, but now I've been reduced to holding the ball." And then he gets the redemption at the end. I think that's a that's a better film. Yeah, I think that could be. He just gets all depressed about it, and then he's got his, his low key prostitute Debbie kind of <laughs> keeping him up there for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, that could be interesting. I guess he wouldn't have any animosity towards Gus, but I could also see that being a thing too. Yeah. What did you uh what did you think of it? Yeah, if we use our classic rating system, the draft beat, I expected this to be like undrafted level of bad. Or yep. you know, towards the back end of the draft. I'm gonna say this I think I said that the Friends episode was like a late round guard where like it's not an exciting pick but you enjoy it more. This for me 
is like picking like Justin Tucker in the sixth or seventh round or whenever he got picked and then him becoming the greatest kicker of all time. Now, I don't think this is the greatest movie of all time, but this is definitely like a, I'd give this a fourth round value. It's not as good as Draft Day, but this is going to be better than some of the other films we watch, I think. Actually, maybe a fifth round. It'll be a day three pick. Yeah, yeah. See, that's kind of where I was leaning. I was more leaning on the my my instinct was to say sixth round, just because it is dated. And anyone that gets into this that hasn't seen it, you're going to feel that. If you're not more accustomed to older movies, they tend to be a little bit slower. They draw them out a little bit more. The conversations a little bit more. So if you're not kind of used to that pace, you might not like it. But there really was some funny moments in here. And I can really see this also being, in its era and in its time, a much more influential and funny movie than it was as well. Well, I think Gus walked so Air Bud could run. Yeah, there it is. It's not a piece of cinema by any standards. I don't think you could show this to like a kid today and they would enjoy it. Right. Yeah, no way. I think it's just too dated for them. They'd just be like, this looks shit and I'm not going to enjoy this. (laughs) 100%. So it it really is We Are The Market. It's definitely for the adult crowd. I would say if you've got Disney Plus and you're looking for something to watch, you're like hungover, you don't want to think about it, chuck on Gus. It's better than you think. And I think some of the performances, they're quite funny. There are some funny moments in this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree with that as well. Obviously not as funny as if Rodney Dangerfield was in it. Sure. This is good. We are going to watch worse films than this, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. We thought about some instead of doing this one, (laughs) but uh, we went with Gus, and I'm glad we did. I'm glad we did. It was good stuff. Me too. The only thing I have to add here is that it gets referenced, I think it might have been Madden 2006 or Madden 2007, where if you miss a long field goal, Madden would say even a mule couldn't have made that. And I know there's sort of a, you know, kick like a mule phrase anyway, but I I don't know. I'd like to think it's a wink to all Gus. I would like to think so as well. Ah, Gus. Have you got anything else to add about Gus or uh, we get the mule out of here? Let's get the mule out of here. Awesome. Well, where can the good people get in touch with you? So you can find me on Twitter at Justin underscore B, or you want to see some of my design or web work. You can go to my website at www.justin-b.com. Definitely check those out if you're looking for any of those online services. And of course, I am at Sheehan Solo. That's S-H-E-A-H-A-N-S-O-L-O on Twitter. You can follow us at 32bit. That's 30-T-W-O-B-I-T. And all that's left for me to say is Justin... Boy, screen you later. Now, first place is waiting for us, man. So this week, we're going to get off the ground and we're going to go out there and we're going to win.